0: This podcast contains explicit language. I, I had nothing to do with it, and that's just the honest
1: truth.
0: He was the sort of guy he would never walk away from fight. He would fight you to the death, you know.
2: John had been hit a very violent, sudden blow to the head that completely incapacitated him. I just
3: couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that
0: that's what had happened. He said one day I'm going to be killed off.
3: John was as cocky as they can.
0: I'm Martin Van Bain. This is the final episode of Heavy Metal, a stuff podcast that I've worked on with fellow journalist Blair Ensor about the murder of Christchurch scrap metal dealer John Reynolds 22 years ago. Despite an extensive police investigation and a $20,000 reward, no one has been charged with his murder. Reynolds was bashed around the head with a heavy pipe or some such object as he was getting ready to close his scrap metal yard beside the railway tracks in Central Christchurch on April 28th, 1996. In the last episode, we heard about Reynolds' colourful past and how two delinquent boys were initially the prime suspects and then ruled out. Given Reynolds' rough and fearless nature, it was always on the cards that some event had occurred recently that sparked a desire for quick revenge. For instance, maybe he had offended someone shortly before his death. Some witnesses talked about Reynolds having a run-in with Black Power or the mongrel mob over a vehicle accident shortly before he died. Some possible witnesses and potential suspects were never identified. One was a white-haired man with a light beard who was seen leaving Garden City scrap at noon, on foot and putting something in his wallet. A blonde woman in a short skirt, seen in a street close by about half past twelve on the day of the murder, also never came forward. As we have heard, there was no shortage of suspects, but police began to zero in on two in particular. One was a gentleman we have already heard about. He was Ben Johnson, who called into the yard about 11.30am and who had his twins in the car. Johnson, aged 41, would sometimes do odd jobs for Reynolds such as stripping the wire from electric motors he had also asked Reynolds for a more permanent job on the Sunday Johnson backed his car into the yard so that the boot was under the open roller door in a statement now read by an actor Johnson told police
4: I just chatted to him for about 10 minutes we spoke about the hassles he was having with police about hot gear he seemed very chatty and didn't appear to have any problems. He spoke about being
0: robbed a while back. As already mentioned, Johnson saw Reynolds handling several bundles of cash and talked about Reynolds sometimes letting him touch the bundles, but not that day. In a police interview, he recalled Reynolds telling him that a person trying to get his cash would have to kill him first. Johnson also initially told police he had not sold Reynolds any scrap on the Sunday, but later admitted he had in fact sold Reynolds some hot scrap. The lie didn't help his cause, and he admitted being hard up with his five children and little to live on. But he said Reynolds was his friend, and he could have killed him at any time in the past. And if Johnson was the killer, why would he have left the money in Reynolds' shirt pocket? After all, he had seen the wad of cash. The other odd thing if Johnson was the killer was why would he turn up well before closing time and risk being seen by other customers? In any event, the police had a very close look at Johnson as his son, David Honetana, a patched Black Power member tells Blair from the Waikato. David was about 19 at the time Reynolds was murdered, and Caesar's father was no angel, and once robbed a bank.
5: He was the man. He was the man to go knocking on the door and do what he had to do. And what did that? Yeah. Mean? um just whatever it took to rectify the problem that they were having. If they had problems, or if there was money owing, or yeah, just whatever needed to be done, he was the enforcer. there was a bank robbery, can you tell me about the bank robbery? Um, yeah, he just, when he said that he just got sick of having no money, thought it would be an easy idea, so, uh, stole a motorbike, got a hold of a gun, duffel bag, and, uh, went to the bank, walked into the bank and said nothing and just fired the gun into the roof. They handed over money, jumped on the motorbike, he said he was going down the motorway, seeing was looking at something in the sky and then crashed, fell off and yeah and that's how they got him
0: on the motorway. We checked the bank robbery story and reports from the time show no shots were fired, but the rest of the story stacks up. David says his dad had a reasonably good relationship with Reynolds.
5: Because no one really trusted or wanted to give my old man any breaks, but John, he could turn up five minutes to closing and he'd, he'd wait there for him. <clears throat> That's what, you know, and the old man had a bit of respect for him. <clears throat> That's all he said to me that he didn't kill the cash cow. He could go there without any question and, and John would look after him. How long did it take for police to come knocking? Oh, they were there. matter of days, not even two days I think. They were there and they took them away for hours, then dropped them off with no shoes and wearing a bloody
4: jumpsuit. And in the meantime, they'd been through your family home and searched it quite thoroughly?
5: Oh yeah, um, to the point where they were cutting up the floorboards. Do you know what they were looking for under the floorboards? Well, they wanted... Evidence from the floorboard itself where his shoe sat. They wanted the dirt or any blood or anything on it. If your father had done it, he, he was hardly likely
4: to confess to you about what he had done. But what is it from your conversations with him over the years that led you to believe that he wasn't responsible?
5: I think he would have told me if he had done something stupid because I would have been the head of the family if, He had done it and got arrested and left. So he would have wanted for me to know, probably not the full details, but just to say that he'd done something stupid.
0: So what did John Doyle think of Ben Johnson? Ben was was of interest.
4: Mm. And was he ever ruled out?
0: You can never entirely rule out anyone, to be honest, because
2: you're, you're relying on Um, what evidence you have and then you've got got to try and you go and put it to them and then try and find some other evidence around them Um, so we can never rule anyone out but you know Ben Ben was definitely um, spoken to a number of times and um, ended up probably being further down the list than when he started (laughs) Exceptionally
6: riveting and shocking at the same time
7: Gone Fishing A man disappears, and a woman goes to prison for 15 years for his murder, despite swearing she'd never even met him. Listen for free in Apple and Spotify now. Search for Gone Fishing.
0: As his sister explains, Russell Bainton, who you will recall, was one of Reynolds' customers on the day he was killed, always thought Johnson was the culprit.
8: Russell was a bit of a detective himself. He He was always like to solve mysteries or, you know, he always liked to dig that wee bit deeper. Um, his real character, Russell, was, but he said, he always said, I'll swear that Ben Johnson had something to do with that. He said, I'm going to find out, he said. So I remember one night, I used to go out once a week to Housie and Russell would look after the kids because Russell lived with me. So that night I was off to Housie and um, unbeknown to me, he jacked it up to, um, for Ben Johnson to come round home because Russell wanted to get a statement off him. He wanted to, for him to admit that it was him. So he'd had a few drinks, invited Ben Johnson round, so Ben Johnson come round. And I remember very clearly Russell saying to me, he said, he said I asked Ben Johnson whether he murdered John the Pong. And Ben Johnson said to him, he said, no, I didn't. He said, but I'm quite capable of it.
0: Police also had to eliminate some others on their list. For instance, police also interviewed Roy Hunter, who used to work with Reynolds. Roy certainly wasn't shedding any tears when Reynolds was murdered, as he told Blair.
5: Fucking like asshole. In what respect? The way he treated me, the way he talked to me. Like, he thought he'd be drinking. and nah. no. Well, it's not a nice way to go, but the thing is, he deserves
0: it. Roy says Reynolds annoyed him further with his habit of flashing around his cash. He he used to do it to me. I said, you're a fucking wanker. Don't do it. Told him, don't do it. You'll get knocked on the head. But Roy didn't remain a suspect for long and was quickly eliminated. Police also looked closely at a man who still remains a person of interest. In other words, he hasn't been ruled out as the possible murderer. His name is Kent Gorry, and he lives in Christchurch in an upstairs flat with boarded up windows and no power. At the time of the murder, Gorry, who was the brother of Tania Gorry, who we heard from earlier, had been out of jail for only three months and had a long list of convictions, mainly due to a raging intravenous drug habit. His offending covered a whole range of criminal activity, including violence. Soon after his release from prison in February 1996, he had had a fight with Tania's then-boyfriend, Kerry Craw, apparently attacking him with a hammer for something Craw had allegedly done to Tania. Police won't say why they began to investigate Gori, but it's a fair bet they got a tip from someone, perhaps a drug addict, miffed at losing the undiscriminating Reynolds to sell scrap to. Gorry, who is now in his 50s, has been in the wars over the years. A brother was killed in a train accident at a young age, and he has buried at least two partners. One died of a drug overdose, and one was Mallory Manning, a prostitute who was murdered in 2008 after she was picked up from her spot on Manchester Street. The police were obviously interested in his whereabouts on the afternoon Reynolds was murdered, but details were murky, as his sister Tania told Blair and me when we visited her home.
6: I couldn't guarantee where he was that day and I'd lied to cover for him that day, and then I since found out other things in that year. How
0: would you lie to cover for him?
6: Oh, I just did. (laughs) I just did. Because of something I thought that I was completely wrong.
0: Just watching it right. the wrong,
6: they've, they've looked at the wrong people. Yeah. It's a, I would have loved to have been kept so it could have been sold at the time. Believe me, I could have.
4: So, if your brother didn't do it, then who did?
6: Not our family. <laughs> Not our family. It's <laughs> the first time I can say that for sure. Not our family. Do you know who did? No. Nope. I think I know who's possibly did it, but I've got
1: to go inside because <laughs> I can't get involved in this.
0: We spoke to King Gory late last year being unable to talk to him face-to-face, we called him on his cell phone and recorded the conversation. We're sorry, the audio quality is not the best.
1: Well, I don't really know much about it. I got blamed for it, but I had nothing to do with
0: it. Where where were you on
4: that day? Home. Um,
1: um, oh, I can't even remember where, where we were looking. Oh, Dobson place. Yeah, Dobson place I I didn't lie though and I didn't think I'd have been out that day. Right. It ended up that I had been out. I totally didn't know nothing about it and said well, I thought we were at home all day and you know, 'cause I said we had nothing to do with it. I I can't really have anything to say about it other than you know you're a good
4: guy. why do you think you got blamed for it?
1: Um, well, there was a few stories. Um, one was that my sister was having a affair with him and then people, because I don't was doing a lot of work through them, selling a lot of stolen copper and whatnot. People just started saying, oh, you know, now I'm sort of hooligan you know and that a little bit of crime and whatnot. My name just started popping up. Everyone was, well, oh, Kent got supposed
0: to have killed that guy. Kent says that for a couple of years after the murder, he was interviewed by police numerous times.
1: I, I don't remember a lot of the family, but I know I didn't kill John. I know that from that then I was with a girl Fitzgerald and a and we could give her
4: and that, that's totally was So why did, you lie, why did you lie to police uh, about where you were that day then? Well, we went out to a guy's house
1: to get some uh, civic and hydride for making a And... But it just totally wasn't even in my mind, because they're going on about me and it just totally wasn't in my mind that, you know, we'd gone
4: to this guy's house. Are you aware and that, that some people say that you've confessed to them that you, you killed him? No. Yep. I've never confessed to
1: anyone. Why would I do that when I didn't die? You know, there's a lot of hateful people that, you know, I've worked off or smashed over or hammered whatever.
0: Blair, since that phone call, you you tried to contact Kent several times, didn't you?
4: Yeah, I mean, during the course of that phone interview, Kent mentioned to me that he was thinking about sitting down for a face-to-face interview. So I called at his home on several occasions, and uh, eventually one evening, after I'd knocked on the door, Kent pulled the curtains apart at the top and yelled down a few things from upstairs. And I guess the actual sort of basis of of the conversation was that, look, I don't want to talk to you, Uh, I didn't do it, and police had tunnel
0: vision. Through Facebook we also contacted Marie Fitzgerald, but she did not want to talk to us either. However, in a message she said she was with Kent all day on the day Reynolds was killed and that Kent had no part in the killing. We spoke to Kerry Craw at his home as well, but a severe head injury caused by being hit by a baseball bat means he cannot be interviewed.
6: So, for your weekly dose of long form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to the Long Read from Stuff wherever you get your
7: podcasts.
5: A remarkable and disturbing tale, well structured and told, it was both riveting and informative.
7: Black Hands, the story of the most divisive murder case in New Zealand's history. Listen for free in Apple and Spotify now. Search for Black Hands.
0: Although we didn't meet face to face with Kent Gorry, his mother Frances was more than happy to tell us about that time. Frances says she had expected a visit from Kent and his girlfriend Marie Fitzgerald on the day Reynolds was murdered, but they didn't turn up. He told her later he had spent the day in bed. Police were soon on her doorstep.
6: They took a statement from me and it was about um, that day and what happened and uh, I've always believed that no, he didn't because I don't think Kent could hold that in himself, and I know damn well that Marie Fitzgerald wouldn't have been able to either. Um, and the re- and the reaction I got from my daughter when she found out and was looking for Kent too, she was real worried. Um, she wanted to know where he was, but not in, not in the way. At the time, I didn't get the impression it wasn't because she thought he'd done something, but more that he might get blamed for doing something because they were so close with the man, John.
4: Kent said that he was in bed that day to you.
6: Yes, but a good few years later, we were talking about it, and I said, well, I've, he said, what do you think? And I said, well, I've always believed you didn't. I believed what you told me. And he said, well, actually, that wasn't true. And I remember getting really upset at that, thinking, oh, my God, why? And he said, I couldn't tell you the truth. He said, and I could hardly tell the police the truth either, that some big drug deal had gone down that day. And I don't know whether he named the people to me or not. Um, I can't remember names, Um, but he said it would have been more than his life was worth too, had admitted that that's what he was doing that day with those people. I accepted that, I believed that, and I still don't believe he had anything to do with it. How
4: how did police come to search your house?
6: Um, Kent, the detective told me that Kent was in jail... And this supposedly told this guy, cellmate or whatever, that he'd killed him, killed John Reynolds, and that he had hidden the bloody hammer in the floorboards under his old lady, meaning me. They were the exact words, I remember that, on the thing, on the statement from this person. Um, And that's why they got the search warrant. Like I said... um, they only spent maybe two minutes there because we didn't have any floorboards. I couldn't imagine any of mine daring to hide anything at my house. Never. They kept what they did well away, you know, but that, that was a lie anyway.
4: So is Kent a violent man at all? No.
6: Bloody pussycat. Um, I suppose amongst his own, like he's had fights in jail you got to stand up for yourself there. Um, he's got half an ear bitten off. I don't know if you've ever seen him. That was a fight in jail. Um, so I stabbed out, but that wasn't in jail. It was out here. Um, but other than that, no. But, I mean, if you boil it down, anybody, I reckon, is capable at the time, at a specific time in their life to be violent, but him normally no, but then again drugs make people weird.
0: Police don't quite share Francis Gorry's faith in her troubled son, and he is yet to be ruled out. So 22 years later, can the murderer, assuming they are still alive, sleep easy in the knowledge they will never be found or brought to justice? Former detective inspector John Doyle, who headed the investigation, believes the answer to the murder rests with one or two key people connected with the killer. To me, someone had to know. Someone else had to know
2: about it. Um, someone had to see someone come home. There would be there there would be some sign of blood on your clothes. There be the person would be acting in a in a strange way. Um, someone would know. Someone would subsequently know because person that does this or who did this or personal persons would be throughout their life it'll be on their mind.
4: What do you think it's going to take to solve this case?
2: There's, there's two things one would be a shift in the thinking of the, of the offender change of circumstances and that can happen where someone can say I've lived with this for a long time and it's, it's, it's got the better of me and that, that can happen Another thing will be people who have been in relationships or friendships with that person and have spoken to that person and and that person has said something. And that that often opens the door. And that's a possibility. I'm certain we've spoken to the person that committed the murder. But could be wrong. I mean, you you know, um, some people's behaviour gets misinterpreted, you know, there's, there are some people, if you speak to them, they look guilty from the moment you speak to them. And they, they've, they've done something, but it may not have been that, and, and so you get, they give off the wrong messages. They lie, they run away, they do all sorts of stuff for the wrong reasons. I'd love it to be solved. But, you know, I mean, um, the families have to live with this. They have to walk around thinking, is that person in the crowd? Someone that was involved, or is that person over there, someone that knows something about this and never had the, the courage to come forward? Um, John was a um, happily married man with a, with a nice family, nice family life. Um, went to you know went to work to make his money, and and his work was his work, and his home was his home, and they were very separate. So um, you know, I think I think he was probably a pretty good man, actually. Yeah.
0: Detective Sergeant Dorothy McPhail was appointed manager of the Reynolds investigation file in 1996 and oversees it today. She makes it clear the police aren't letting go and says previously untested items have recently been sent for forensic examination. The file has been reviewed over the years and any new leads have been followed up. Police have continued to appeal for new information. She says a review of the files started at the end of last year has produced no new leads as yet.
6: I would dearly love to solve this, but police can't do it on their own. We need that help from those people in the community who may have information. And if anyone does have an information, we have an 0800 number. It's 564 673 and... Anyone who has information, no matter how insignificant they may think it be, we'd really encourage them to uh, make contact with us through the 0800 or through the normal police number. A top notch piece of journalism. Compelling listening.
7: White silence. An airliner takes off from Auckland Airport on a sightseeing trip to Antarctica. A few hours later, all 257 people on board are dead. Listen for free in Apple and Spotify now. Search for White Silence. The series
5: is beautifully crafted and a compelling listen.
7: A man disappears with no crime scene, no weapon, and no body. How could his longtime friend be arrested and charged with murder? The Trial. Listen for free in Apple and Spotify now. Search for The Trial.
0: As the police say, Someone out there other than the killer knows who killed John Reynolds. Reynolds' daughter Lara had a weird experience a few years ago that could have involved just such a person. The mystery person gave her the impression they were someone who knew a lot about her father and the crime and was trying to turn around their life.
4: Why do you think that person or persons came to you with that information?
9: Um, just to get it off their chest. It was something that they'd been carrying for a long time. They were trying to turn their life around. Um, I was um, through that social media. Maybe they understood that um, I, perhaps that I was someone that they could trust.
4: I mean, what would it mean for you if, if the person that did this was held to account?
9: I'm, I'm not sure that I'm doing this now because I feel the need for him to be held accountable because if I have that expectation then I'm just setting myself up for um, not failure but more frustration yeah and considering the actions that he took I don't expect that that sort of person would be the sort of person that would be fronting up anytime soon life is funny life is very funny it has a way of sorting itself out and normally people like that, they normally do themselves the worst damage anyway because that's, it's not karma, I'm not really a karmic person, it's their actions that self perpetuate. I have no doubt about that.
0: However Reynolds' widow Susan has her doubts about whether the killer will be found.
4: Do you remain hopeful that the case will be solved and that um, someone will be held accountable?
3: Well, yes, I do, but I have my doubts. I mean, after 20 years, you know, for for a person to... or persons to remain silent for 20 years, I don't think they're going to, um, front up now. But maybe they might.
4: What would it mean for you, though, you and your family?
3: To see the person or persons go to court and, and, um... It would mean a lot, but, um... You know, all all the ugly feelings have gone. They really have. I mean, I still care and think about it, etc. but all all that inner hate and ugly thoughts, yeah, um, I haven't thought like that for a long, long time. Otherwise, it just eats away at you. But I'd still like to know who it was, you know, just to let them know that they've, You know, took my husband, father, grandfather, grandchildren he's never seen, son-in-law he's never met. I mean, you don't forget, but I think it would be a relief. You know, it sort of closes it.
0: Reynolds' brother Michael has mixed feelings about a resolution to the case.
4: Do you have hopes that whoever did this to your brother will be caught?
0: Yes and no. I mean, yes, I, I would like, but I would hate to have to go through a long trial and, you know, bring it all up. And I, would, I would like, but I also think, I'd like to think that this person has got it on his conscience. So let's review what we know about the murder. It's hard to know whether the attack was planned or a more opportunist crime. The killer might have chosen their time carefully or just got lucky that Reynolds was closing up and no one was around. The killer also needed a weapon and although there were plenty of potential blunt instruments available in the scrap metal yard, the killer would not have wanted to look around for one, thereby giving Reynolds time to react. It seems that Reynolds probably knew his killer and was comfortable about letting them inside the factory unit. He also seems to have been caught unawares because if he had had the chance, he would have fought back or tried to defend himself. Because the main roller door was down, it's fair to assume that Reynolds was getting ready to go home and was in a hurry. But how then to explain him having a cigar outside the yard after midday? And here is another puzzle. Remember, the roller door of Reynolds' factory unit was down when he was last seen by a witness. The roller door had a smaller door for easy access when it was closed. Two witnesses went past the factory about 1pm on the day Reynolds was killed and reported the smaller door was still open. By then Reynolds was probably dead. When Susan went to check on her husband about 4 o'clock, the door was definitely locked. But who shut the door? Was it the killer who might have been inside waiting for the boys who stole the truck to leave? We haven't had access to the whole police file and we haven't been able to look at statements made by people who were questioned under caution. These statements included ones by Kent Gorey, his sister Tania and Tania's former boyfriend, Kerry Craw. The Reynolds murder looks like one of those cold cases where the police have some tantalising clues, but just not enough to arrest and charge anyone. It could well end up being one of those cases we talked about in the first episode. The perfect murder. But even in 2018, the answer seems like it could only be a phone call away. The last word goes to Reynolds' sister, Frances.
4: Do you have a message for the killer?
0: I just don't know how you sleep at night. I just
6: don't know how you sleep.
0: If you know more about the killing of John Reynolds, please contact Police on 0800 564 673. The dedicated line Dove set up for information about the case. If you want to get in touch with the Heavy Metal team, please email metal at stuff.co.nz. Heavy Metal was researched, written and presented by Blair Ensor and me, Martin Van Banen. Recording was thanks to the Broadcasting School at ARA and editing was by Alex Liu. Our executive producer was Catherine Goldsworthy. For more on the John Reynolds story, visit stuff.co.nz forward slash heavy hyphen metal
7: Free love, group therapy and a guru called Bert What could possibly go wrong? The Commune. Listen for free in Apple and Spotify now. Search for The Commune. An airliner takes off from Auckland airport on a sightseeing trip to Antarctica. A few hours later All 257 people on board are dead. White Silence. Listen for free in Apple and Spotify now. Search for White Silence.